Hi, this is LGBTQ&A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with D'Lo. D'Lo is an actor, writer, comedian, someone who's performed all around the world, and now he's here. Stay tuned. Dilo. Hey Jeffrey. Hey, welcome to our show. I'm so happy to be here. This is this is legit. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I'm glad this to hear is that. Not high school. <laughs> what were you expecting? Well, you know, I oh, high school good. sometimes. Well, thank you. Yeah. The, uh, that's great to hear. Thank yeah. you. Um, you know, in the industry, I tend to see labels and indicators of identity kind of removed from the conversation. People just want to talk about their work and their art. But everywhere I see your name, be it your website or other sources, you tend to lead with queer, transgender, Tamil, Sri Lankan, American. Yes. Is that, why is that? You know, maybe it's because I uh, grew up in that era where it was, it was so about identity politics. Sorry about that sound gay. Um, I feel like the reason why I continue doing that is so that there's never shame associated with who I am. And so, you know, I'm Tamil Sri Lankan. The, everybody knows, well, you, maybe not everybody knows about Sri Lanka, but the, but people don't know that there's a civil war and or and that it ended in 2009. But so many of the people who are still displaced are Tamil people. So this is my ancestry, right? And and it's about land. It's about the genocide of people. So I I feel like it's important to distinguish that I'm not just Sri Lankan, but I'm Tamil Sri Lankan. I'm I'm of that lineage. I'm of that heritage. And it is important to say that we exist. You know what I'm saying? And and to be unapologetic in in saying that I exist as a Tamil Sri Lankan. But to to then you know the intersectional aspect of it to say that I'm a queer trans Tamil Sri Lankan person. The queer part is for me to say that I am undoubtedly a political queer person. Do you get what I'm saying? And then the trans stuff is is obviously about just my identity as somebody who is is not the binary. Like I'm wanna I wanna put that out there. So all of these labels are just to kind of push it out there and and I think that it it is my way of saying up front, I'm gonna be bold about the intersections of where my existence are are, are existing in. Oh, is it also like an invitation to say like, hey, let's talk about it so we can like move on? Absolutely. Or like it's almost like like uh, for example, I did a show uh, I think last week in New York, and and I and and it was for a bunch of South Asians. And usually when it's South Asian heavy, I talk about queer stuff extra. And usually when it's queer heavy, I talk about the the South Asian stuff extra, right? And and um and so I you know I I got up there and this was for a crowd that didn't know who I was like just completely you know fresh crew and and so I got up there and I was like okay let's just get some things out the way I'm transgender I give you four seconds to get over it <laughs> so you know give maybe two and just to like okay and this is what you're gonna hear about now you know like let's just let's just get on with the program and and so I could get you laughing and thinking in no particular order yeah totally so. to, to these South Asian audiences when you say Tamil also does that do they realize like oh like civil war like his family probably left during that well so my family doesn't have that immigration story oh, really? um my my parents came as immigrants before the the war um the war started and um but but my what it is is that there's also like 
there, there's so many things there. Usually, typically, Indian people don't know about the Sri Lankan Civil War. That's that's what I've found, come to find out. Unless you're a social justice driven person, or unless you're like international news reading, you you usually don't know about the the nuances even in the Civil War. Like a lot of people might think, oh yeah, there's a war, and then there's a terrorist re- rebel group. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that's what that's what has always been in the mainstream news when it's been put out there. But but I, I some sometimes I talk about how um, the war has affected our community at large. But but typically, like I feel like when when they hear it, sometimes they're like, oh, I th- I still feel like for the larger South Asian population, Sri Lankan's still a little bit like foreign. <laughs> Sometimes I, I I kid you not, it happens at least once a year where I'm talking to a South Asian and they're like, "So, so where in Africa is Sri Lanka?" No, I'm like, I'm I'm that little fart that India let off the side <laughs> of its ass. Well, you know, when I wanted to talk to you, I was telling my friend who's Sri Lankan. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, I'm trying to get in contact with D'Lo," and he was like, "Oh, let me send an email." And I was like, do you know him? He's like, no, but I can get in contact. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do I know them? Uh, Are they related to me? I don't think me? you do, but um, they knew your cousin, I believe. Okay. Yeah, everybody, the- everybody is a cousin or knows a cousin. <laughs> so he's your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, religious-wise, did you grow up Hindu? Like, I grew what was up your- Hindu. You did? Yeah. Okay. What, what was that, like, upbringing like? Well, you know, like, so, so we were raised in um, Lancaster, California, which is not too far from here like, like hour? an hour yeah. an hour but back then it was like super hick like like extra like 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 bakersfield uh maybe five ten years ago um and so you know that there was there was this thing that so okay so the the whole story i'll give you it in a nutshell is that my father is a um a primary care physician and so he got a residency in in new york um, and he met a lot of the people who had gone to the same college that he went to in Sri Lanka there, so uh, who were also Tamil Sri Lankan. So one of them ended up working with somebody who ended up getting him to Lancaster. And then he was like, look, they need doctors here. And that's how a bunch of Sri Lankans ended up going over to California. Did you notice how I made the United States so you could see it? Yeah, I liked that it. New York was here, <laughs> even though for me... So anyway, so they go to Lancaster, and and so the community there started off being um, um, Tamil Sri Lankans who were doctors, and then the relatives started coming, and and especially when the war. So in eighty three, there was something called the Black July, where Tamil people were targeted and and killed in in Sri Lanka, and so around that time, people were applying for political asylum, refugee status, stuff like that, right? So that's when the community started really expanding. Um, and what we did in, in Lancaster was that for, for, for so many reasons, and not good ones, part of Tamil identity no longer could be Sri Lankan, right? It had to be around Hinduism. Because Sinhalese people were primarily Buddhist, and in the name of Buddha, these, this war was taking place right so it wasn't it felt like Sri Lanka was ejecting Tamil people right so if there's nothing to rally around that was specifically Sri Lankan 
it was definitely the thing that set them apart was being Hindu, right? Like you're you're usually not going to find a Tamil person who's a Buddhist uh, in Sri Lanka, and and you're usually not going to find unless there's like a mixed marriage, and then that that happens too. But so Hinduism became really the part where the whole community, you know, like got in on it, right? And so every Friday we went to Bhajan, which is um, you know a just a, a time where we all sat around in front of an altar and we sang songs. Um, it was fun for me growing up because it was all the kids my age and, and we all got to play right afterwards. It was like an hour of singing and then we got to do that. And then um, and then we had like functions where we'd have like around religious festivities. Uh, we would have like a, a gathering and, and people would do art and things like that. We have something called Saraswati Puja. Saraswati is the goddess of art and knowledge. We would all the kids would, you know, play their instruments or like sing songs or whatever on the stage, and you know it was a big deal. It was a way for the community to get together. Um, so, so that was always there too. And if we're talking, I don't know if this is eventually where you're going to lead. I'm not trying to say I'm going to read your mind, but if we're huh. talking about queerness and 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 how the the Hindu thing got navigated, is is that like already like, um, you know. You, you you smelt that maybe it wasn't cool that you were the queer kid. But, you know, I was funny, right? So I could just kind of like, you know, deflect it, right? Um, but I think that even in our in Hinduism, there's not really anything that's anti-queer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anybody has ever... I think that we have more gender-bending spirits, gods, goddesses demigods than any other religion out there. And, and that was actually like where my question was going. Yeah. Like there's a rich history of gods who change gender. Absolutely. And in Absolutely. India, which is not Sri Lanka, but yeah. in India there was for a time a recognized third gender. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, like I wonder how that affected you growing there, up. There's actually a recognized third gender presently. Oh, so really? so now if you're trans, you can have transgender as your gender and your passport. Oh, the actual gender marker yeah. says transgender, not trans man or female, just trans. Oh. Transgender, yeah. Fascinating. Um, I'm almost positive about that. Okay. There's also the probability that the 2% that I'm completely wrong in talking out of my ass. It's okay. But, you know, most people talk out of their ass anyway, so nothing different with me. So do you think that religion gave you like more freedom or not at all? I don't know if it was because even though the, the scriptures, even though the stuff in Hinduism says it's not right, there's n there's also the cultural aspect of it, right? And and so, you know, it's taboo culturally. Even if even if one god is flipping genders in order to have this man's baby, do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's 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 still taboo. You can't be queer unless you're a god. And I've been trying to prove that <laughs> to everybody. I'll be like, look, you you, you just, can you not see that I am a god. at least a demigod? At least that. At least. That's what I wanted to hear today to prove. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so stick around. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so to answer my question, it absolutely did, probably did not help at all. Even having these gender queer help. gods, it didn't help. Oh, fast because thing. because it's because it was so much more about like you know shame, what the same shame that's in all of our communities, the homophobia, the transphobia, that same shame about your like, and then then you know like you got to think about it this way too. It's like you you have immigrants coming to this land, 
already Lancaster is known to be the place where the KKK established their first West Coast church. So you're dealing with that kind of stuff in the air. And you're dealing with people who are like racist, you know what I'm saying? Or or like not seeing you as equal, even if it's that, right? And then on and then you're like you're like, okay, we're just trying to get by. I remember my father just being like, just trying to just keep your head low, do your work, do good, you know, and then be happy and live in peace. But then it's like the minute that the that the queerness comes in, it's like, oh, come on, not not this. Like we can't have this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Did, did queerness start before being trans, or was it all together? I think it's all together. Okay. I mean, for me, I knew that I was a tr- my my thing started. I was attracted to women at a very young age. So I had crushes. Maybe I didn't know how to have sex, but I knew that I wanted to kiss girls at like age three. Like I was I was about it. You know what I'm saying? So That's I was very young. I know. And people are like I think it's weird that people come out later. You get what I'm saying? I'm not judging. I'm just saying, like I'm like you didn't know you wanted to like kiss up on somebody at that age, like, and then now I realize I'm the weird one, but I, but that's what it was, and so I was I was like a dude, right? Like growing up, for a couple of years of my life, I tried to look like a girl and behave like one, because that was around the time that people were kind of like <laughs> sniffing me out. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody asked me, like, "So are you gay?" And I was like, "No." You know, I was like terrified when I got that question Um, because it's so loaded, right? Like, you know that it's like nobody else is except you and that anytime somebody is, they're going to get like killed or or like, you know, treated like shit or beat up or whatever, you know. And, and, And labels just have a lot of pressure. It's yeah. not, do you like girls? Maybe that's like less pressure and easier to answer. But are you gay? It's like, whoa, we didn't go there yet. Well, both of them, I think, were bad at that time. I'm super old. Back then, it was really bad. Like, I went to a Baptist school. <laughs> they, really? I did. I went to a, I love me some Jesus. So, you really? You, I went so to a like, Baptist Hindu school. Hindu on the weekends, Baptist yes, school Exactly. Exactly. I was a Christian during the week and a Hindu during the weekends. Um, no, because there were no good public schools. And this immigrant community was like, oh, no, we have to make sure our kids get into college. So they put us in the private schools, which were all Baptist. And then later I was in a Catholic school. Wow. Yeah. What, what do That's you... a whole nother show. That's a good <laughs> show, actually. That's part two. That's so fun. Okay. So all those religions, are you spiritual today? Like... Yeah. I would yeah. say so. I'm spiritually Hindu. Spiritual, okay. Yeah, I mean, I love me some Jesus. I love me some Allah. I love me some everybody. Um, whether or not they love me back, it doesn't matter. But, but they're all on the altar. Okay, it's like it's like gender queer, like religion queer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, but 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 a very intentional one. Like it is. It's not just like we're. It's a free for all. We just you know whatever. Like everybody's everybody. Like I I do actually believe in the power of prayer. I know. Even when I say that, I'm like, "Wow, that sounds revolutionary." I, I, I think or crazy. I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. I also think it's okay, like, not to know. I'm still trying to figure out, like, what I believe. Yeah. And I'm okay. I don't. I don't. I don't put pressure on that. Yeah. And certain things sway me one way, another one sways me another way, and I'm not willing to give you a firm answer. Right. But I'll, yeah. My mine is like mine is exactly the same, but saying not, but not saying what do I believe, but almost like what do I believe today. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how Very have I shifted? Religiously clear. How have I grown in my in my ways of experiencing this world? Yeah, I like that. And yeah. you're allowed. Yeah, absolutely. You talk a lot about your parents in your work. Yeah. How, how what is your relationship with them today? It's so much better than I would have ever, ever, ever thought. Um, you know, I think you know, like, if I'm just gonna quickly just do a a, a little my two cents but I feel like you know with with Trump coming in right um, a lot of this stuff has been you know I've been getting a lot of stuff in my feed about like queerness and transness and how so much of the stuff that we've been working hard for is like going like 50 miles backwards right but then even though that that's happening I really do believe that this is so much more about race you know and and you've heard me say already intersectional but like i feel like this is so much more about race right now than it is about necessarily queerness and transness and i say that and it might sound controversial but i'm saying that because so many people who voted for trump might have a queer person in their family that they have to grapple their their love their heart around do you get what i'm saying they have to really work hard to like see the person that they love and i and I think only when your family is pushed to have to deal with something does does the change happen, right? And so I feel like we have probably traveled farthest and quickest around queerness, but yet the race conversation is still a hundred years, two hundred years behind. You know what I'm saying? And it's and I think it's because we're more there's oftentimes there's there's a, a queer person in your family than there is somebody who is black brown south asian asian whatever and and so saying all of this i feel like for queer people especially you know our coming out stories are like our strongest most powerful tool in in creating change in this world like just to be able to speak from the heart about like what it is to be you queer people have the the privilege of having a story in that way because it, it you can't really say you there's no coming out story for you based off of race you know what i'm saying um it's not anything you ever most story uh, stories had to like come to terms with or to right. figure out right. as you get older and mature mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's there exactly and so i th- i feel like with my family um you know i they saw me as a little boy all throughout right and they, they i used to hear them say she'll grow out of it you know what i'm saying and then i didn't and then at some point i was like oh i better like switch for a little bit like try and disguise myself and then i when when i hit college i was like back back to exactly who i was at 3 4 5 up until 13 years old right and and I think that my family has been the marker for my growth until I realized I couldn't use them as my marker because I wasn't growing you get me yeah like if I was waiting around for them I was gonna live live a horrible depressed life and so I kind of just got angry at some point and I was like I can't I can't I can't always be coddling you you know what I'm saying? I'm fed up. I'm dying. You know what I'm saying? And then I started a journey that, that was strictly mine. And then eventually they came around. And I got to give it up to my partner. My partner's mere existence in our family has created 
channels of communication that has changed my family on a fundamental, on a core level that that I would have never imagined was even possible. I don't walk around. I actually like my parents. I like to go visit them now. Whereas before it was like, Shuri Moraga talks about it, homophobia is the fear of going home. You know what I'm saying? And and that was real. I had a ton of that kind of homophobia. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so yeah. You talked about parents. Yeah. That's my... Well, yeah. No, and I ask because I think it's important to hear examples of somebody people see on screen and on stage who is so comfortable and confident, um, at least seeming, with yeah. themselves and to know that their family hasn't like quite caught up yet. Right. I think it's easy to assume that this person has it all figured out. Yeah, yeah. And... I, I think it's also possible that your parents love you and can still struggle with right. like, you know, right. this Absolutely. at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so like these examples are important to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about your partner. How long have you guys been together? It's six six plus years. Oh God. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we had our commitment ceremony last year. We're still not legally married, but um but that's on the horizon. I think that we're trying to expand our family with adoption. Um so so yeah, six years, and I would say that it was probably. I think that everything started settling down for my family last year. So we're talking about like when my partner came in, like me and my mother wasn't really talking like in a good way. You know what I'm saying? Like we we were we would we were cordial, but there was a lot of like fire underneath. This, at least for me, my mother could get could have given a fuck, but but things are good. I mean, I gave for partners who who allow for that to happen. Yeah. Is that you? Who's that? No, it's our front door. I'm sorry. There's a beeping. <laughs> uh, we can't stop it. Uh, there, there's such like a, it's so documented, like the stigmas that trans women face in dating. Mm-hmm. Um, as a trans man, have you like faced that same stuff? No. I think that. I think the stigmas are completely. I I, I know that there are stigmas. I know that the. That even today there are um, lesbians who really do not like trans guys. Do you get what I'm saying? But then you have the queer community that are very like pan and and all over the map sexually. So like it, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't think that there are. Um, I definitely don't think our community has nearly as much stigma around our dating stuff that that trans women do i've heard trans women tell me that they love dating trans men and it that makes complete fucking sense to me because it's like where where are your your histories and your bodies being most validated is with someone who can appreciate you for who the fuck you are you know what i'm saying yeah but um but i i know that i I think that trans people dating trans people i'm all for that because if if there's anybody who can understand, if there's anybody who could love you in that very specific way as somebody who wants love in that specific way. I am not dating a trans person, um, but she's fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> she's <I> dope. <laughs> you heard it here. Yeah, she's dope. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I read somewhere that you... For, like identify as like a boy B O I, is that still the case? I mean, I put it in there. I oh. put it in there. Like, uh, if if I ha- if I put in all the labels that I feel describe me, then that bio would be like 
maybe five lines longer before you, we got to what I actually do. Yeah, and then you gotta like change that. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, like, but like BOI, I feel like was a perfect transition uh, label for me because I never said I was a lesbian. You know what I'm saying? I never said that. Like, I, it was very rare that I would say things like women loving women. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it wasn't like if if I was a boy, that was to me my gender. You get what I'm saying? A BOI was my gender. It wasn't necessarily about who I was going to sleep with and that being the label that describes me. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. yeah. So I, I just think um, last week we had Laura Jane Grayson, who's like a punk rock singer, uh -huh. and she said something that struck me later how profound it was that to her, the word trans just sounds cool. Mm. And like we want cool words to describe ourselves. Right. And we're finally figuring out that there's more options than boy and girl. Right. Right. And so I think it's awesome that you like found this word that you identify with, even if it's just for like a moment. Yeah. As you said, like we're allowed to change. Yeah, and it's, absolutely. Um, it's not so black and white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, do, do you remember like when you found that word? I think I was in college. I don't know. But like, you know, there, there was the word butch, right? And I didn't like that word because I felt like it was so like manly and very white sounding too, like a white butch, like, Ur, you know, and and I wasn't that. I, there there are other people in this world who are way more manly than I could ever be. You know what I'm saying? And and so then I found, like, there was B-O-I and there was stud. And stud was more of the word that I identified with because that was who I was kicking it with every day. Like, we were all studs. Like, that was what you called B-O-I's, boys of color. You get what I'm saying? Is stud it was used hardcore in our community. And so... It was it was always like boy stud. It was like you know boom boom, and and that was probably late teens, early twenties. Gotcha. Yeah. Stud also encompasses your like charm. You're a very charming person. Is it? Wow. Thanks. You've heard that before. It's just so charming. <laughs> um, stud. I know that stud is used in the gay men's community in a different way, or so I think. Is that right? Um, I, I don't think it's used as much, like, anymore at all. Okay, but it was. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's Yes, it's kind of like, to me, I, um, I'm i not the authority on this, but to me, lesbians um, used to identify as butch or as femmes, mm -hmm. and to, now they identify as the adjectives. Like, I can be butch but sometimes, she... or like, she's a little bit femme, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm, they're not mm -hmm. a femme. Mm -hmm, they are... Mm -hmm. It's the noun, not adjective. Gotcha. So I think nowadays we've gotten away from that noun as well in the gay community. Got it. Great. Does that affect what you were going to say? No, no not, not at all. all. It okay. was just that some people think, oh, stud, did that come from this, that, one? And oh, so I say, like, no, that's, I think that that word is rooted in the black community, stud. Oh, really? Yeah. Did, uh, obviously you're not black but like as a person of color did you like do you relate to the black community I feel like I grew up queerly in a in a black and brown community black and Latino community all my friends were black and brown growing up um, I think that it was also because I think that ultimately it was also because of the music that we were listening to and the and and what came with that the fashion all of that stuff so I wasn't going to um you know, queer spaces that were, um, I, I don't know, like Indigo Girls and Tori Amos and 
Sarah McLaughlin. I love those artists, but not those spaces growing up. Mm-hmm. And I was more going to who was playing R&B and hip-hop. Yeah. So so I think that that's just what happened. Um and I also thought think that so much of the so much of the queerness that you grow into so like every f- for my age group I think that a lot of our queer identity was um, f- informed by if if we went to college or what we were reading or you know and I didn't I was always um, like there were there were queer people on campus but but it was it was not the like when when it's kind of like what we know about queerness in the world is dictated through a white lens right and so so much of what was happening on campus around queerness you could see that there were queer people of color on campus but they didn't want to be a part of that group because it was just so foreign and so i feel like that was um your initial question was no, 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 no. This is this is fascinating. It, it, it sounds like the queer community that you saw, you were not not a part of it because it excluded people of color. Exactly is what I'm saying. So, so now you. So the the question was, um, do I feel myself as part or or see a, an affinity? I don't know with the black community. And I would say that it was more pan people of color. Um, I feel like who I was making art with, and who I was sleeping with and who I was partying with were all mostly black and brown people. Gotcha. Yeah. It's like arguments of feminism. Until recently, it was not intersectional. Right. Feminism supported white women and wanted equality for white women. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's wrong. Yeah. I also think you're talking about how, um, like, uh, black, uh, queer people are, let's possibly, safer in Trump's America. Um or like black people haven't caught up yet I think uh, uh, like uh, equality for black people not black people just um, equal rights uh-huh. I think that is because the people who were in power were white are white mm-hmm. and they thought we freed the slaves yeah. we had equal rights we're, yeah. we're done yeah. we, we did our duty I know like we're good right I know and I mean I have to think that they call LGBTQ a lot of people would argue T's not a part of that, but like mm-hmm. the, the as the new civil rights, mm. I have to think that the next new civil rights will be like black rights again. Yeah, I I get so I'm like no, that's not the civil rights still. <laughs> I'm like no, the the queer fight is the queer fight. The civil rights was the civil rights, and now we really need to get a really intersectional like whatever rights they it's can happen be, simultaneously. Like, this, you just gotta charge through and be like come on motherfuckers stop being so narrow minded and it's like everyone's angry now we can band together I know I yeah, know I agree when when you are touring your shows mm. are you are you doing it as a storyteller to tell your story or are you interested in educating people yeah you know um I will say that I'm going to talk about like what I'm doing right now on the college campuses is that I, I make it a point to come there and just do a, a a very entertaining show so it's it's mostly comedically driven so it's mostly stand-up with with that storytelling element it's expanded stand-up do you get what i'm saying it's not like punchline 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 uh i always tell people it's like john leguizamo uh his solo show so i do about 45 minutes to an hour of that and then we have a q a and in the q a i like i try and keep the q a 
to, if I'm going to do 45 minutes of stand-up, I try and do a Q&A that's equally as long. And so a lot of people don't like doing post-show talkbacks, but especially in the college-university campus, I feel like if it's done correctly and you've brought in the women's and gender studies department, you've brought in um, the theater performing arts department, you've brought in Asian, you've brought in South Asian, you've brought in pan people, queer people, trans people in that room, and we have... 200 plus people in an auditorium coming to see this invited artist. That Q&A is going to be unlike anything that you're going to be able to gra- get, get, get your hands on. You get to hear what other people are asking, what's important to them. You get to talk about something that uh, we, we get to be in conversation around like a queer story, a trans story, um, one that's intersectional. Um, what you know, there's there's just the 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 energy in the room afterwards. I feel, I I can feel it that people are having a great time during the show. That's great. I am so happy that that I can give that. But then the Q and A is really where I feel like I'm doing my work, and it's about just allowing for the space for a conversation to not just happen with me, but but with one another, right? And and I always I kind of base it off of the fact that there was a there was a class that I took at UCLA. Peter Sellers did it, and I don't know if you know he's, but he's a theater artist, um, a, um, a an opera director, like opera theater director, and um, not just opera, but other things too. Anyway, so he had a, a class called uh, Art and Social Action or Art, Art and Social Change. And so everybody on the whole campus knew it was an easy A. You just had to show up. You know what I'm saying? But in the class, he made people talk to one another. You get what I'm saying? That sounds terrifying. Terrifying and mind-blowing, right? Because a medical student or a business person or somebody who's like, you know, raised in Alaska or somebody who's raised in like Hickville, USA has to talk to the 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 person who grew up here in East LA. Do you get what I'm saying? Who's yeah. an artist. You had to talk to them and 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 write stories about them. Do you get what I'm saying? So so if that's the, you would think, "Oh my god, that's so simple." Like and it and it changes people. Like there's people who to this day are like, "Yo, that was like one of the most realist experiences I've ever had." You know, so if if something that simple can change the way that people are thinking and and believing about one another, then then we have to use performances, especially on college campuses. I believe because there's still like there's still like a con- you can still have a conversation. And be expected to like show up for the conversation. So why why not use performance and 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 um, and story to to then you know ask people to 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 show up to engage and to really sit with it, sit with all that stuff that's happening with themselves, so that they can then go back to their communities and talk about it. Th- those questions that they ask afterward are they. By now, have you like heard all the same questions? Almost all of them. Okay, but some of them get like, um, like some of them are very personal. And I say, I actually am like, this is where you can ask me those very personal questions. I know it's a little bit of martyrdom that takes place, but I feel like 
sometimes those people might not just want to Google or watch a YouTube video or whatever. And so if I am the source of, of the, you know, if I'm the source in which they're getting their questions answered, then I want to be so intentional in how I answer that question. And that's almost, that's how I also see my work. I think it's very valuable too because not everyone's so open to every question. I'm not open on Tuesdays. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> every other day? No, actually Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so Friday to Monday I'm more open. Okay, we should have yeah. rescheduled this. Um, <laughs> but because I have a lot of friends who are in the um, industry and they're journalists and reporters mm-hmm. and they're so terrified to mess up someone's pronouns or to ask the wrong question or to use the wrong lingo. Mm-hmm. And... I tell them, like, you know, like, it's okay. Address yeah. it in the moment. Like, apologize and, like, learn for next time. But um, I, I hate that this fear of, like, asking the wrong thing is stopping these conversations from happening. Right. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And yet I also want, like, if you're so fearful, I think that there's, like, guidelines for other things. I think that journalists do need to do a little bit of work before. In the same way that you would research, like, you've obviously done your homework. There's times where I get up in front of, like, a bigger thing that is, like, supposed to be the thing. And they're like, tell me about yourself. And I'm like, I, uh, give me a, at least if you gave me a starting point. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So in that same way, I'm like, if you're a journalist, it is your duty to, to be, like, as well-equipped as you possibly can be before en- coming into the room. I agree. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I can understand the fear, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, it, it's the same. Like, I don't mind if students ask me questions that are Googleable, but if a journalist asked me, then I'm like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't you know? invite you here to, like, drive across town. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I get I you, agree. but you'd be amazed. Oh, no, I wouldn't. You know no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I've seen a lot of interviews, D'Lo. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, uh, okay, last thing about your touring shows. I wonder if you create your own work because, mm-hmm. or I guess I'm wondering if it's because you have to. You've been on Looking and Sense8 and Transparent. This is like the trifecta of yeah. queer TV, but that's that's very limiting if you're only being seen for right. these queer shows. Right. Well, Let's just put it this way. I, 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 one of my labels is that I'm an artist. So I, I really take that on. You know what I'm saying? And, and um, I, I started writing when I was like 11 because I was so moved by hip hop. And I was like watching who I thought were Africans because they had like African gear on and, you know, they had names like Latifa and, you know, excellent Zulu Nation, like stuff like that. So I thought, okay, these are African immigrants talking about stuff that's happening in their community. And then later I realized they were black Africans, I mean, black Americans who are uh, going going to roots, right? So, um, but to, to me as like a Sri Lankan dark-skinned kid growing up looking at these folks on TV, I was so inspired because I was like, oh my God, I'm not crazy. There is something going on in this in the city that feels a little weird. Why I always feel like a second class citizen, right? Oh, because they're wrapping out social injustice. Exactly. Oh. So I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Public Enemy, I'm going to do that. I grew up at 11 years old. I was listening to Public Enemy and like studying their lyrics. 
You get what I'm saying? I was like, oh, I didn't even know some of what they were talking about. I was only 11, but I was like, oh my god! Like, and the imagery on the on the videos oh and god. like all that stuff. You know, they, they're talking about like 911's a joke in your town and like police brutality and all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! And my father talked about racism all the time. He was like, you know, these white people don't like people like us. You just gotta, you know, like I said, keep your head low, do your work, find a peaceful life. That's every immigrant father says exactly, that. exactly. Yeah. So, so, so it's like me. Me writing was my way of making sense of this stuff and like finding a way to find, like, literally searching for my voice. You get what I'm saying? And so I grew up doing that. And then it was in college I started performing a spoken word and hip hop. And then when I came out, it wasn't so cool. So that's when I moved to New York. And then I started doing theater there, right? And so theater gave me the platform to like sort of be a little bit more expansive and it wasn't there was still form and structure but but it wasn't like a three minute piece that had to like rhyme the whole way through you know I mean my first theater pieces all were rhyming (laughs) but 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 it was like after that then I was like okay and and I and I also felt like in spoken word and hip-hop I didn't have the, the 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 freedom to be comedic as well so the the comedy ended up happening there and so i feel like when i'm i've always been creating work for myself right and and it, and that has been like the way that i have figured out my existence in this world if it wasn't for the art i don't know if i'd be here you know what i'm saying and so when i get these acting jobs i l- don't get me wrong i love getting an acting job that where the role wasn't necessarily written for me. I love it when roles are written for me, hands down. Like when it's written by a queer trans person of color and, and they've written a role that, that they're like, you would play great in this. I'm like, yo, this is, this is I've struck gold, you know? But if it's just like, okay, we, we think you're going to be good for this, I'm like, yep, that's a job. I'm going to take that. I'm going to do the best thing that I can with it and just, I, I love it. I love when I'm able to do this, especially on a queer show, right? But then I'm also working on stuff that is just, again part of that trajectory of my of, of my career as an artist and where I wanted to see it so these are just the stepping stones right so like right now if the ultimate goal is to have my own show right the stepping stones are working towards that if if my ultimate goal is to be able to play an arena of like 5,000 people then then what I'm doing right now in front of 200 people or or a thousand people is my way to get to that right yeah and so it's always going to be coming from me it's always going to be my pen on on paper it's always going to be uh, my stories stuff from my life um stuff through my eyes and and that's that's what's happening so this is this is really like what i want to do right here and this might fund this do you get what i'm saying yeah. but but i'm happy for it all any job that i get where someone has been like yes we want you a part of this that is a blessing for me i am not turning it down you know what i'm saying totally um i think that's such a nice place to leave it off on uh if people want to connect with you online shoot someone to your twitter your website yeah, anything my handle for everything is deloco kid it's d-l-o-c-o K-I-D. That's YouTube, Facebook, Vimeo, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jeffrey. Absolutely. And I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1. You can find all of these interviews as well as our previous ones on AfterBuzzTV.com. Also, iTunes and YouTube. Keep leaving comments. Thanks so much. Bye. 
from executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff. We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.